I'm Denzel Mohammed, and this is Jobmakers. Fun fact, in the greater Boston area, more than one quarter of immigrants from Brazil, 27%, are self-employed, more than any other group. That means they are more likely to be job makers. Go to ilctr.org to learn more. For Rodrigo Souza, immigrant from Brazil and owner of Comequito Brazilian Steakhouse in Lemonster, Massachusetts, the resourcefulness and doggedness in Brazilian culture followed him to the United States and enabled his success. He estimates he's provided around 400 jobs since his restaurant opened in 2009, and he's so popular, even in a county that's 75% white, he won the People's Choice Award in the 2020 Worcester Mass Best Chef Competition. It wasn't always easy, and even during the pandemic, when restaurants were really hard hit, Rodrigo found new and inventive ways of generating revenue and keeping people employed. He's also found ways to give back to the country that took him in, from his three years in the U.S. Army to feeding the town's homeless, as you learn in this week's Job Makers. Rodrigo Souza from Lemonster, Massachusetts. Welcome to Job Makers. How are you? Hey, man. Thank you. Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. So you're the uh, owner of Comiquito Brazilian Steakhouse in Lemonster. Give us the 30-second pitch about your business. Okay. So Comiquito Brazilian Steakhouse is a Brazilian steakhouse. <laughs> and we offer people a very, very unique experience other than other Brazilian other steakhouses which is basically to try everything on the menu. We have a variety of different meats, anywhere from pork, chicken, lamb, steak, sausage. Uh, uh, we do also grilled pineapple on a, on a, a rotisserie uh, with a variety of different sides and salads, gourmet salads. So coming here, it's really like going to a tasting. So how did you end up in this business? I remember you saying that your mom didn't even cook, right? Yeah, no, my I do not come from a family that likes big at cooking or anything like that. Uh, my mom actually hates cooking, <laughs> um, but you know, like I, I'm, I, I grew up being a um, um, only child, and uh, I actually got to learn how to do some stuff when I was young. But I never actually really had on my radar that I would do something like that for for you know for a job, you know, for career. Uh, so, um, you know, I, you know, when I came to the U.S., my cousin worked in restaurants. So I, you know, it's actually a funny story because I used to go pick him up every every night because in the beginning I didn't have a job and I would fill out an application every time I would go pick him up. And the, the, general, the, the general manager said, you cost me more money in application. I'm just going to hire you. So they actually made up a position for me which is like a roller. So I would sit in a corner of the dining room and make roll-ups all night long. You know, fork, knife, and an afternoon, you know, those are real roll-ups you, you get when you go to restaurants. I'll do that from like 4 o'clock until like 10, 30, 11 at night. My hands are like smooth from so much friction with the napkins all, all, all day, all day, all night. 
So you sort of fell into it. And this is not something uncommon. I'm, I remember interviewing Shane Smith from Hugh O'Neill's Irish pub, sort of the same thing. You know, he just sort of fell into it. And it was something that was, you know, they, they decided to bring their heritage to America in this way. In, in his case, it was Ireland. In your case, it was Brazil. So this takes us back to your roots in Rio de Janeiro. What was like life like growing up in Rio? Oh, um, growing up in Rio, it's a very, very good experience, man. Um, actually, one of the reasons why I'm here in the U.S. is because I was having a really, really good time in Rio de Janeiro. So my parents kind of deported me from, from Brazil to, uh, to here. Um, so growing up in, in Rio, you know, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of partying, a lot of friends, a lot of, yeah, a lot of good times. So you said your parents wanted you to get away and discover the world. So in 2001, you moved here at the age of 18 to Boston. Why did they want that for you? And what was the experience like of moving to a place where the language and the culture and the laws and everything were so different? Well, um, they wanted me to experience something different. They wanted to meet, they wanted to take me away from my friends. Uh, and uh, they put that pretty good good offer you know in front of me uh in terms of uh, coming here you know everybody you know has a dream to come to america right even though i didn't have a good life in brazil it wasn't because i was really seeking for a better life like that uh but you know they wanted me to learn english they wanted me to learn the, the culture they wanted me to uh create other relationships create other links um you know and um to you know maybe you know, do something better with my life than I would have in Brazil, better opportunities, etc. you know? And so you, your first job was, was what? You were working in restaurants? My first job uh, was actually working in a supermarket here, Roach Brothers, um, Ellis. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's funny because this town, it's a, I don't know if you ever heard of Millis. It's exit 19 off of 495, I think. Uh, and uh, I was the only immigrant. I was the only black person in the, in the town. You know, I was actually, when I went to high school, it was kind of like, like a cool thing, you know, like, oh, this guy is from Brazil. <laughs> this guy's from Brazil, you know. And, uh, but, uh, you know, that was my first job, doing bags, you know, uh, you know doing bags at uh, Roche Brothers. Wow. Yes, I I am actually familiar with Millis. It's it's not the most diverse uh, town in Massachusetts. Um, so you opened uh, Comiquito in 2009 and you've grown significantly since then. I mean, you started out as basically a sandwich shop and now you're a full service restaurant. I know it wasn't easy in the beginning. You actually had to borrow money just to fill your cash register to have change. Uh, what was that that experience like starting this as as someone who didn't have a business before? Let me correct you, okay? It wasn't oh. easy. It's still not easy. <laughs> it's never easy. It's never easy. The first, you know, I scraped all the money that I had, which wasn't a whole lot, to uh, you know, to start this business, and in the first day, we didn't have money in the register uh, to you know put it. So I actually borrowed fifty bucks from somebody. Uh, and I basically, you know, gave that money back at the end of the night 
Um, and uh, but that's it. If you're talking about being unprepared, you know, you know, we can have a conversation because I just really saw the first step of the whole set of stairs. I just saw one step. I put my foot in there and keep kept on going up. Uh, but by no means, I want to say that, you know, we are super big right now, but we definitely in a better position. We've grown a lot. We developed a lot. We went from like a seven table sandwich shop, you know, to a, you know, 85 uh, seat restaurant, uh, full blown Brazilian steakhouse, full service. Uh, that's uh, being able to, um, to, you know, expose to this community here what Brazilian food is, Brazilian culture, and etc. What do you think is was in you? What qualities do you think you had? You said you sort of had to mature and get seasoned in this in order to be able to be an, a successful entrepreneur. Do you think you had particular qualities that allowed you to to take that risk and and and, and start this business? Um, the qualities that I think uh, helped me to get me where I am today is that I'm very persistent. I'm very persistent. Um, I usually, uh, and I heard this from some other person, it's not me that created this, but persistent, persistence beats resistance. (laughs) Persistence beats resistance. So, uh, you know, sooner or later, man, you swing that bat so many times, you know, enough times that you're going to you're going to hit the ball. You're going to hit the home run. I actually recently did the Ironman um, uh, three months ago, three, four months ago. I did an Ironman uh, competition. I actually still have the, the band. Oh, wow. Yeah, I see it. <laughs> you're supposed to take this off after you're done. I see. I kept it. Because I want to remind myself of the things that, you know, like what takes to get to the finish line. Not necessarily finish line, but, you know, to get to other levels and other levels. And I did this because I wanted to, you know, I knew that uh, this would help me in other areas of my life. You know, Um, it's a constant battle between your mind and your body. And in life, is your, your mind is trying to screw you all the time. Your mind is trying to put you in a safe place all the time. Your mind doesn't want to hurt you, you know? So you, you, you can't listen to your mind like that all the time. Otherwise, you never do anything significant with your life because your, your mind wants to protect you. I was going to ask you what advice you would have for budding entrepreneurs, but I think that's it right there. You know, mind over matter and and just being persistent. Yeah. Of course, now we're in a pandemic and restaurants were really badly hurt. You had to come up with new revenue streams. What were they? And do you think they're sustainable going forward? I I, got to, you know, like, thankfully, like we actually have pulled through this. Okay. Um, we had to be very creative. Uh, we actually during the pandemic, we turned the restaurant into a little, um, mini supermarket. So online. So we actually sold, you know, every, all the food that we buy, you know, we sold it online, you know, um, delivering these, uh, items to people. And, um, 
you know, this was about 30% to 30, 33% of our revenue during the pandemic. Another creative thing that we did was uh, uh, we created some virtual uh, brands. So we have, right now, we still actually have five virtual restaurants. So we created, uh, you know, these brands, we market online, and everything comes out of here. You know, it's very short menus, you know, five, six, seven items. It's a, it's a, it's a good way to uh, capture a, a bigger market share in the community uh, and uh, use the same ingredients that you're already using here. You don't have to buy a whole lot. So, yeah, so that's, that's a couple of things that we did and have done to stay relevant and keep bringing, you know, the revenue we should in order to survive and keep people employed. That's incredibly creative. Uh, would you recommend this kind of uh, branching out and additional revenue streams to other businesses in yeah. other industries? Absolutely. Uh, I actually, from this, I actually created another company called Virtual Kitchen Hall, which we actually, we are actually selling this concept. We're not selling this concept out, but for, for, for lack of a, you know, uh, better term and uh, and uh, not having the enough time to explain what it really is well just think as a franchise you know we uh, we you know sell this idea out to other restaurants across the nation now and they execute these menus out of their own kitchen and what we do is we market those menus in their area we give them a printer and a tablet and people order and comes right in their kitchen we dispatch a driver to go out and get the food. They don't have to do anything. All they have to do is fulfill the order. And that's a great way to bring, you know, $500, $700, sometimes even more a day in sales. So you already have your infrastructure there. You already have your, you know, people. You already have your inventory there. Um, you know, you know, why not maximize on the space that you have? Wow, that's great. Yep. Um, in 2020, so again, during this pandemic, you said people have been supporting us all these years and now it's our turn to support them. One of the initiatives that came out of the pandemic was my local Massachusetts. How do you think this has helped the local economy where you are? I, I believe it certainly did. During the pandemic, we also we reached out to a couple of families that were in need, you know, we gave, we gave out some, uh, you know, groceries. Uh, we actually had some people reach out, reaching out to us to also, uh, you know, you know, buy people some, uh, groceries and whatnot. Um, we currently, we, uh, we help out us, an institution here called our father table. Um, you know, every six weeks or so, there's a rotation of restaurants that actually, you know, give them food, you know, cook them, you know, like a, you know, nice meal and etc. So, yeah, we try to do our part. You know, we definitely try to do our part. As a business owner for well over ten years now, do you think that it's important to give back? I think uh, it's uh, it's absolutely important to give back. I think that the concept that the Bible has to give 10% of your earnings, you know, um, applies anywhere, you know, um, 
So it's definitely, you know, important to look at your left, look at your side and extend a hand uh, to somebody that's in need and try to help somebody, you know, giving them something, but also teaching them how to do that on their own as well, you know. So according to our own research here at the Immigrant Learning Center, immigrants from Brazil in the greater Boston area are the most likely to be self-employed of all the other immigrant populations in greater Boston. 27% start their own business, whether it's incorporated or not incorporated. Why, why is it that Brazilians like to start their own businesses and create jobs? Well, well what is it about, about you know, that? I think <laughs> Brazilians find ways to do things you know, better than most people, I guess. Uh, I think one thing about Brazilian people, man, I think we are very resourceful. I consider that's another thing about uh, equality or virtue, uh, being uh, um, an entrepreneur, you know, like I'm very resourceful, you know. For example, I started Kamakito out of nothing, man, you know, like it's not that out of nothing, but like I, you know, like what are the chances, you know, of uh, somebody starting something knowing that they don't have the money to start? They don't have money to put in the register. You know, like you find ways to do things. And that's, like I said, about swinging that bat. You know, you swing that bat enough times, you find people that want to help you, you find ways to do things. For example, when I moved from the, my older, old location to this location, you know, it was uh, an okay, smooth, sort of smooth uh, transaction, transition. And then when I renovated the place that I'm in, you know, and I turned into a Brazilian steakhouse, we did a full-blown renovation here. And in my uh, calculations, in my projections and things like that, we would spend about $50,000. And I did not have that money. I did not have $50,000. And that's another crazy thing that I did. Some people will call this being inconsequent. But I call that believing myself. Uh, I only had $7,000 in the bank. And I had an idea of how to generate the money for the construction while, while the construction was happening. So I basically... Uh, you know, you know, talk to everybody that was doing the, the project with me. And I try to negotiate something like 30% now, 30% it's done, 33, 33, 33, 34, you know, uh, you know, like after, you know, I started like bringing revenue. Uh, so we, we actually, we sold a ticket to uh, the grand opening a couple of different days as a show. We brought some Brazilian dancers, you know, the samba dancers, and we turned into a show, like almost a movie theater, you know, like a five o'clock session, a 7.30 and a nine o'clock. And uh, so I sold a good amount of tickets for that. So as the ticket sales are coming, I'm putting that back in the construction. Um, it was a crazy move, but, you know, and this construction instead of 50000 cost me like 85000 this is just to show, I, I have done a lot of things like that in my life. A lot of things like that in my life, you know, that I didn't have the means to do it. I didn't have the resources, didn't look like I could do it, but I 
you know, like I believed in myself. I believed in struggle, believed in myself. And I, you know, I pulled through. So finally, you, you mentioned earlier that being back in Brazil, you know, everyone wants to live in America and this American dream. And a lot of you people who, who were born here don't have as optimistic a view of, of the American dream. Do you think that the American dream is alive and well? I think there's, there's definitely alive. You got to look for it. You got every day. You got to look for it every day. You know, every day you have to look for it. Every day you get a knock on doors, right? Every day you get a knock, knock. Where's my dream? Is it here, <laughs> right? Uh, again, it goes back to uh, you know being persistent, believing yourself. I'm definitely uh, thankful that I came to this uh, amazing nation, and uh, it has uh, really, you know, taken me in. It's not gonna come and knock on your door. That's for sure. You know, it's not going to come to you. You got to go to it. You know, that's just how it is. That's how it is. That That's a really good point. It's not just going to present itself to you. You're not going to land in a street paved with gold. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. You have to, you have to actually pound the street. And, in order and it, to find it, it. It, it, it tastes better when you actually, you go after it like that, you know? Oh, wow. I've never heard anyone describe it like that. That's incredible. <laughs> Uh, Rodrigo Souza, owner of Comiquito Brazilian Steakhouse in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us, Job Makers. Hey, man, it was my pleasure. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, okay? Job Makers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship and contribution produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not for profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thanks for joining us for this week's incredible story. Got comments, questions, or know someone we should talk to? Email Denzil, that's D-E-N-Z-I-L, at jobmakerspodcast.org. Next week, we'll have a special episode on new research showing the outsized contributions of immigrant essential workers that kept the U.S. going through the pandemic and the policies that ignored them. I'm Denzel Mohammed. See you next Thursday at noon for another Jobmakers.